0: Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Well, hi there. I'm Andy. i one of the pastors here at Salt. And it's really good to be here with you uh, this afternoon. Big welcome to you, especially if you're, if you're visiting Um, Keep that passage open, Um, Matthew chapter 18, we'll be working our way through that together. But um, I like to half commit to things, that's something I feel like is an important thing in life. Um, I've got a lot of hobbies that I kind of drift around with, I've got a bunch of DIY projects at home that are half finished that uh, I will get to, Um, but you know, keep my options open there. Uh, I feel like that's an important thing, keeping your options open, half committing. It's kind of good in some ways. You've got flexibility. You can kind of choose what you want to do, and you kind of drift around. And um, sometimes it can be a bad thing. Uh, we, about 10 years ago, my wife and I, we moved to Wollongong from Sydney. And um, we it felt like every week or two, we were back up in Sydney over the weekend for, for whatever uh, friends things or seeing family or whatever it was. And um, after a couple of months, we realised... We're not actually really getting to know people in Wollongong, uh, and we realise this because we're we're only half committing to Wollongong, right? We were drifting between the two, and uh, not actually investing in people at our church or our community and getting to know people in Wollongong. So we made the hard decision that we'll start saying no, we'll start saying no to things in Sydney, and uh, so we can invest more uh, in Wollongong. We realise you know it's <laughs> being half committed seems like a good thing, but it's actually making things uh, really hard. Uh, in this passage, here's a question that I want us to consider: Why can't we be half committed to Jesus? Why can't we be half committed to Jesus? Because uh, we might like the idea of following Jesus, of being a Christian, uh, but you don't want to take it too far. You know, you don't want to be too too extreme. As you're a Christian, you don't want your whole life to change. You kind of just want, you know, maybe a Christian on Sundays and, and different with certain friends and not with others. Or, But why can't we? Why can't we do that? Why can't we be half committed to Jesus? We're going to see three reasons from Jesus why we can't be half committed, why we have to be 100% all in. We're going to see that in this passage. So let's pray and ask that God would help us as we do that. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your word, we pray that you'd be speaking to us, we pray that you'd be shaping us and changing us by your spirit, help us to see what it looks like to live uh, as your people in this world, amen. Uh, We're in the second week of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18 up to this week, Uh, so again keep that open if if you've closed it or if you've lost your place. We're working our way through that together. And last week, the disciples, they heard God speak from a cloud and uh, up on a mountain. And um, God said this is about Jesus, that he was God's own son whom he loved and listened to him. And so things are really, as this movement, they're really starting to gain momentum. Large crowds are following Jesus. Uh, People are listening to Jesus. He's getting a bit of sway and uh, it seems like he might actually be the promised Messiah. It looks like he's the one who's sent by God to restore the kingdom. And the disciples, they're getting excited. They're thinking, thats are starting to think about the future. This thing looks like it's going well. And um, they're wondering what their place in this new kingdom is going to be. Because they're kind of at the core of this movement. They've been there since the beginning. So they're wondering what the, what's the place going to be, their place in this new kingdom. Surely they're going to be pretty high up in the ranks. They're going to be doing pretty well. So they asked Jesus a question, uh, I think a pretty reasonable question. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 18. You can see their question there. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? A reasonable question. But Jesus' answer is astonishing. And it reveals three surprising things about his kingdom, three things that are crucial for us to know as his followers, three things about how to enter God's kingdom. And he tells us why we can't be half committed to Jesus. Three things. The first thing we see is that entering God's kingdom requires sacrificing our status. So who is the greatest, they ask. Verse 2, Jesus replies, he calls a little child to them, to him. And place the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you're asking the wrong question, Jesus is saying. Don't worry about being the greatest. What you need to worry about is actually being in the kingdom. That's what you need to worry about. Have a look at verse two again. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's not talking about being the greatest, it's just talking about being in there to start with. So there's a lot at stake. So Jesus' followers, and us included, we run the risk of missing out on his kingdom altogether. So what's the key? What's the key to entering his kingdom? Well, he tells us it's changing. Changing to be like a child, a little child. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to be a child? There's lots of different ways we could be childlike. You could be innocent, like a child... You could be carefree like a child. You could have tantrums like a child. You could be childish like a child. You could need naps in the middle of the day. Now, that's, you know, that's nothing wrong with that. But, that's, that could be, but a common interpretation of this passage is humility. That's what, we're talking, that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is telling us to become humble like a child. Now, but the word for child here is not baby. It's a, a kid under the age of seven or so, seven or under. And I've got five kids, and when they were that age, none of them were particularly humble. Uh, when, they were, <laughs> when they were kids, uh, they were very aware of what they wanted, what was owed to them, very adamant they could do it by themselves. Uh, I don't know if you've met many five-year-olds who are humble. It's, I think it's more than just simply humility. Jesus is telling us that we need to humble ourselves and become like a child. Become like a child, which is going to require humility, but it's not humility in itself. And the next verse clarifies a little bit more. Have a look at verse 4. It's not about character. It's about status. Verse 4, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is telling us is that to get into his kingdom, we need to take on the status of a child. The lowly position of a child. Uh, back then, first century, um, the view on, on children was pretty different to how it is today. Uh, nowadays, kids have become elevated to almost the, the most important members of society. Uh, youth is idolised, all that sort of idea. But back in the first century, that wasn't the case. Children back then had no rights, zero rights. They were the, the bottom rung of the pecking order in terms of society. Uh, in fact, they were equal to slaves, No rights. Now you can see this referenced in Galatians chapter 4. Um, The Apostle Paul says, What I I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So that idea there to have the status of a child is the same as having a status of a slave. And so as Jesus' followers, we are to become the little children in that we have nothing. We're to strip ourselves of our privilege and our status and our our greatness. We're not not to become a child in every way, but we're to take on the position of a child, the status of a child. We're to become like servants. Give up everything. Give up everything as you follow Jesus. We aren't to seek greatness, as the disciples are wanting to do. We're to seek humility. And Jesus says this a bunch of times throughout the Bible. It's not a new thing. Uh, a, f- a few chapters earlier. Actually, flip over. Chapter 16, verse 24. Um, have a look. Jesus says a very similar thing. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me uh, will find it. So we're to become slaves. We're to give up our life for Jesus. And if we do that, Jesus says, we'll actually find life. It's a bit ironic. Because we get into, to get into God's kingdom, you need to sacrifice his status. You need to let go of everything. Become like a slave. And that's going to require humility. Humility looks like weakness it looks foolish it looks like a a dumb thing to do to, to let go of all your rights no one wants to become like a servant no one wants to give up their rights and their status and become last who wants to do that but that's what jesus thinks true greatness is we become a child we become one of these little ones forced to rely on him as a child a child has no status they're at the mercy of their their parents or whoever's looking after them and so we become like children. We become fully dependent on God. We don't bring anything to the table. That's how we enter God's kingdom. If we can't do that, then as Jesus says, we can't enter God's kingdom. So imagine a ship. Imagine a ship in a large storm. A big storm, waves are getting bigger, winds picking up more and more, boats starting to get knocked about, water piling in over the deck, the crew's worried that the boat's going to sink. So they start to get all the cargo out of the bottom and throw it overboard. Try and make the boat as light as possible. And you see that in the book of Jonah. In an attempt to save the boat, they cast off all the cargo. Try and get rid of all the excess weight. And we're told to do the same. Cast off any preconceived notions of your own greatness without Christ. Get rid of it. You don't earn a place in God's kingdom through any earthly position that you might have. Instead, throw it off. Throw it off. Acknowledge that you have nothing to offer God. You come to Him with empty hands. And that's when He saves you. In humility, take on the lowly position of a child. Become one of these little ones. Don't try and just give up half your status. Don't try and just become a slave, a part-time slave. Don't try and go half into it 50%, 50% humble. That's not enough. It's not enough. You've got to be 100%. You've got to be fully in. There's no room for half-commitment when following Jesus. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. So that's the first reason we can't be half-committed to Jesus, because entering God's kingdom requires sacrificing our status, our privilege. We have to become like slaves. The second thing that Jesus tells us is entering God's kingdom requires sacrificing sin. Sin. Entering God's kingdom requires sacrificing sin. Have a look back in chapter 18. Have a look at verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. This is its pretty drastic. If your hand's causing you to sin, it's saying it's better to cut it off. Better to cut your hand off. Sin is so terrible. Sin is to be avoided at any cost. Do whatever you need to do. It's better to be in God's kingdom without a hand than to keep on sinning with your hand and miss out on God's kingdom. It's better to be in God's kingdom without an eye than to miss out on God's kingdom with your eye. Don't let sin get in the way. Do whatever you can to prevent sinning. Jesus uses the word stumble or stumbling block. It's like the idea of something getting in the way. Imagine you're on a path, you're following Jesus on the way to his kingdom and you come across a pit, a big hole right in the middle of the path and don't fall in, don't fall into the pit. If there's things in your life that you're going to fall over, you're going to fall into, get rid of them. Get rid of them, you don't need them, cut them out. Better to live life without those things and enter God's kingdom than live with those things and miss out on God's kingdom. And Jesus tells us missing out on God's kingdom means being thrown into the fire of hell. This is to be avoided at any cost. This is not good news. Jesus is helping us see what that cost is. What that cost is if we're to avoid it. If you're a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, what are those things? What are those things that are tripping you over? I'm presuming there are things. We've all We've all got sin in our life, things that we're stumbling over. What are they? Cut them out. Get rid of them. Take drastic measures to get rid of sin. What about those recurring sins in your life? What drastic measures might you need to take to to get rid of those? I'm assuming it will take drastic measures because otherwise you would have done it by now. Kill the sin in your life. You don't want those stumbling blocks preventing you from entering God's kingdom, to prevent you from following Jesus. Do whatever it takes. And here's why. Sin is a big problem. Sin is a big problem. We can kind of think of sin as the the wrong things that we do. Uh, you know, in footy, you've got the, the sin bin. The ref sends someone off for, you know, 10 minutes on the sideline. Get a yellow card or something. We kind of think of sin like that. You did a couple of things wrong. Off you go. And so Jesus... Is Jesus saying that people are going to be thrown to hell because they've done some, some wrong things? That seems like an overreaction. Surely a loving God wouldn't cut someone out of his kingdom just for that, right? Just for, a, like, surely a slap on the wrist, sure, but surely a loving God wouldn't send someone to hell forever because of sin. Is sin really that bad? But it's more than just rule-keeping. Sin is more than just breaking some rules. At its core... At its core, sin is a rejection of God himself. Sin is not a rejection of God's rules. Sin is a rejection of God. I caught the train up to Sydney last week, and uh, I always try and sit on the right-hand side of the train. You get the nice view, going up the coast. uh, And um, yeah, we're going up up near Scarborough, wherever it is, the train kind of pops out up the coast and up on the hill, and you can see the whole ocean, right? So I was catching the train, looking out at the ocean, and, um, yeah, seeing how vast it is. It goes as far as you can see. It makes you feel incredibly small. Just ocean forever. And I remember looking at the ocean and thinking, I can understand why people would throw their rubbish in the ocean, uh, I, can, <laughs> I can understand why someone would do that. Like, the ocean seems infinite, right? What's a bit of pollution in the ocean? So, you know, and that's what people did for, for thousands of years. Got some rubbish, just chuck it in the ocean. You never see it again, just drifts off. And the ocean's so big, it just deals with it. And it didn't matter, you know, these factories and pumping pollution into rivers, and, and it was fine. Until you get to the Industrial Revolution and so many factories and so many... And start to, whoa, well, like whole coastlines are starting to get destroyed here and the, the pollution is actually causing an effect. And governments and industries started cracking down. You can't... So don't throw your rubbish in the ocean. Uh, if you're at the beach, don't just... Um, because it actually has a bad effect. It, it, it has a bad effect. And it's actually... Even with all these rules and stuff... It's still 14 million tons of plastic every year goes into the ocean. And uh, it, it's having a catastrophic effect, all this pollution. And we can kind of imagine the same sort of thing happens with our sin. That God is so infinite, God is so big, God is so vast. Surely our sin is not going to affect God, right? He's unmoving. And he can seem far off and so surely the, the little things I do over here aren't going to do any, have any major effect on God. He's so big and my actions are so small and I can leave however I want really. It doesn't, that's not going to affect God. He's so big. And we can imagine that our sin doesn't affect God. But sin is more than just rejecting God's rules because sin is rejecting God. Sin is saying no to God. He's not far off, he made us, he knows us, he cares for us, he, he wants what's best for us. He's near to us and close to us, and yet we spit in his face. We say, yeah, we'll take all the, the good things that you've given us, thanks, but we don't want anything to do with you, go away. Until I do, and, and then come back and give me something, and then go away again. So sin is this deeply personal Thing that we've done against God, deeply offensive, deeply relational type of thing, and so you can see why Jesus is warning us: sin has ruined our relationship with God. And as Christians, we're, we're following Jesus, we're living His way, and sin comes along and tells us to stop following Jesus, to start living our own way, to follow our own path. And that sounds exciting. Sin sounds it looks exciting. But it doesn't take long before following sin leads you away from Jesus and you realize you're no longer following Jesus anymore, but by then you don't really care anymore because you've fallen in the pit and it seems fun and it seems like a good option. And you... Sin's deceptive. It tricks us. And it's awful. And it's incredibly dangerous. And so Jesus lovingly warns us, do whatever you can to avoid it. Whatever you can. Take drastic measures. You can't be too extreme in avoiding sin. And so what are we to do? Well, if you're not a Christian, that's the first thing you need to do. Start following Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you are a Christian, the warning is for us. Kill the sin in your life. Kill the sin. It's not easy. It might be obvious what that sin is. It might be a visible thing that's as clear as day, or it could be an obscure thing. It could be hidden and invisible, invisible kind of sin. And sin is deceptive. It can kind of hide in the corner of your heart. So worth doing that self-reflection, that evaluation, do a heart check. What is that sin in your life, that habitual sin that keeps creeping up? Uh, Or are there patterns of behavior where you're not trusting God, or situations, or ways you're not living His way, or not loving Him as you should? Once you've identified what those things are, then you need to work out how to cut them out of your life. And this could look like a bunch of, bunch of things. It could look like a bunch of different ways of doing this. Uh, for example, if you struggle with road rage, maybe sell your car and catch the bus. Uh, if you have a job that's causing you to sin, quit. Uh, if you have friends that are unhelpful, an unhelpful influence in your life, causing you to sin, cut them out. Don't hang out with them anymore. Uh, I knew a guy struggling with lust, especially at the beach, so he decided he wouldn't go to the beach anymore for the rest of his life. Or maybe it means not going to particular shops. Or if you're using Instagram... And that gener- generates greed within you as everyone else seems to have nicer things. Delete your account. Uninstall the app. Never use it again. Maybe you struggle with certain websites. Install a website blocker on your home router. Open DNS is a free one. You can use that. As uh, a TV show. Karis and I are watching. It's a good show. Uh, but I realized it was unhelpful for me. And so I s- had to say to my wife, sorry, I can't, I can't watch that. I can't watch that anymore. I so, it sounds drastic. It sounds drastic. Is it too drastic? It's not as drastic as cutting your hand off. And you may not need to go to that, that full extreme to cut scene out. Maybe there's a middle there that, that, that would work just as, just as well. You need to work that out. Work out what it is. But even if you did, even if you did those extremes, at the end of the day, it would be okay. It would be worth it because entering God's kingdom requires sacrificing sin. I heard of trappers, hunters, um, catching animals with traps. And um, sometimes they'd set up a bunch of traps and come to one of them and there'd just be a leg in the trap. The trap's been triggered, the animal's been caught for a couple of days and bit their own leg off and escaped the trap. And uh, desperate to do anything to survive. And that makes sense, sure, in that survival kind of context you would, you'd do anything to, you don't want to die. And yet we balk at the idea of making a sacrifice to cut sin out, even though it would enable our survival. What is that? I think we balk because we don't really believe that those things are going to lead us to death, we don't see them really as that bad. Sin's deceived us, so we no longer think we're stuck in that pit, we think it's okay, But in those moments, we need to remember Jesus' words. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two hands and be thrown into hell. Entering God's kingdom requires us to sacrifice those things that cause sin. So why can't we be half committed to Jesus? Because we need to be willing to sacrifice everything if we are to enter the kingdom of heaven. Change our whole life for him. Keep him as number one. Everything else is a distant second. And this all sounds very drastic, doesn't it? Jesus is asking a lot from us. And you might be feeling that cost. You might be in the midst of that. As a Christian, you're trying to cut sin out of your life and you're feeling the weight of it. You're feeling heavy, wondering if it was worth it. You've made a sacrifice. It was really hard. Uh, or you might be visiting today, checking Jesus out. You thought about coming to church for a while and you're hearing this and you're like, okay. <laughs> This is, this is a bit full on. Is this what it's about? Why should we give up everything? Why should we do this? Why do we give up everything for this God? Why do we go to these kind of drastic levels? Why do we sacrifice so much for Jesus? Is he worth it? Is it worth it? And that brings us to the last thing that Jesus tells us, the third thing, that entering God's kingdom required God to sacrifice himself. God sacrificed himself. Have a look at verse 12. bit of a parable there. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So Jesus here described God like a shepherd, a shepherd with 100 sheep, one of the sheep wandered off. Now, I don't know, I was kind of thinking myself, if I was a shepherd, I got 100 sheep, 1% loss, I couldn't handle that, it's just one sheep, still got 99, Uh, but not so with this shepherd in this story, not so with God. He leaves the 99 sheep there, and he goes to look for that one lost sheep. And he risks his life. Got a, <laughs> this morning I was reading the kid's Bible with my kids, this story, and it like adds in all this extra detail about the shepherd, like goes over hills and swims through rivers and gets caught in bushes and stuff. And uh, Jesus doesn't say that, but that's, you can kind of imagine. The shepherd's going, wandering around, looking for it, looking for this lost sheep. Risks in his life, in fact, and he finds it. He finds his sheep. And we're told he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that weren't wandering off. He's happy about that one that he has found. And Jesus tells us this story to help us understand God better. Have a look at verse 14 again. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. We are that lost sheep. We have wandered away from God, and God does whatever he needs to so that we can be found again. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're one of his little ones... Then this story is about you. You've wandered away from the safety of God, and He comes to find you, He comes to save you, He comes to rescue you. All the way down from heaven, down to earth to save you. God comes into the world as a, as a sinless man, and He dies on a cross to break the curse of our sin. He frees us from the power of sin, so we're no longer lost, we're no longer far from Him. We've been brought near. To him, he scoops us up in his big arms, and he brings us home. Because he loves you. Because he's gracious and merciful. He doesn't want you to be lost. He finds you and he makes you his. And as we're, as we're free from sin, we can now live his better way. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve that he's done this. But he does it because he's gracious and because He's loving. So if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, then this offer is here for you. You are lost. That's what Jesus is saying. You are lost. But you can be found. Humble yourself and you'll be saved. You might think, I've got, I've got too much sin. I can't be forgiven. And yeah, you have done a bunch of sin. We all have. There's no, no secret there. But God knows that. He knows you. He knows what you've done. He still leaves the 99 to find you. He still saves us, saves you from sin. In fact, he saves us in spite of our sin. God sacrificed himself to find and to save you. And God loves his little ones. We're told that a few times. He's very protective of his little ones. In verse 6, Jesus says that it's better to be thrown into the sea with a large rock tied around your neck than to cause one of his little ones to stumble or to be led astray. God really loves us, his little ones. He's very protective of us. So why can't we be half committed to Jesus? Because he's not half committed to us. He is all in. He is 100%. He gave up all of himself for us. He didn't just lose a hand or an eye. He lost his whole life for us. And so now in response, we live for him. We follow him wholeheartedly. Not 50%, not 75%, not 89%, not 99%, 100%. Full devotion. That's what Jesus calls for us. Full devotion, following him with everything. Give up everything else, follow him. And this is something that Christians have been doing since Jesus first shared these words 2,000 years ago. Uh, We're called to be willing to give up everything for Jesus, just as countless followers of Jesus have done that before. And so I wanted to share some of the names of Christians who have sacrificed everything for him. Uh, There's lots of them. There's lots and lots of people who have died for him. Uh, So I did a weird thing. I googled Christian martyrs top 10, um, and uh, I (laughs) I got a list, 10 names. Uh, no particular order, but these are 10 people who have sacrificed so much for Jesus in the past 2,000 years. Uh, there's some artist depictions of some of them on the screen. So the Apostle Andrew, uh, he was crucified on a cross. The Apostle Bartholomew, he was skinned alive. Uh, Stephen, stoned to death. Acts, you can read about that the book of Acts in 36 AD. Uh, Lawrence, grilled to death on a hot plate, 258 AD. Margaret Clitheroe, pressed to death under heavy weights, 1586. Sebastian, clubbed to death, 283 AD. William Tyndale, put the Bible into English, which you weren't meant to do, choked to death in 1536. Clement Shabar Barty gunned down in 2011. Jaquise Hamal, throat slit in 2016. Annalina Tonolini, you can see at the bottom right, ran an orphanage, shot in the head, 2003, because they followed Jesus. These 10 people were asked to sacrifice everything for Jesus, and they did. They gave it all up, willingly. They died excruciating deaths, willingly. Because they were one of God's little ones. Because they knew how much God loved them and what God had done for them. And every year, thousands of Christians die like them. This year, thousands more will die, sacrificing their life for following Jesus, giving up everything for him. They don't cling to worldly status. Instead, they cling to God. The God who's left heaven to come and find them and to come and save them and to cause us into his kingdom. Calls us to avoid sin. Calls us to follow him. He comes and he finds us. He saved us as one of his little ones. And so so now we can live fully committed to him, humbling ourselves as a little one. Killing sin as his little ones. Doing this together as a group of little ones. Following Jesus. Living lives of full 100% devotion to him. Because he's worth it. He's worth it. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray thank God for what we have in Jesus. Pray for us. This is heavy and hard. We need his help. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord God, we thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that he didn't stay in heaven. He could have done that. Thank you that he willingly humbled himself. He became a man. A sin, even though a sinless man willingly died, broke the curse of our sins so that now we can know you, that you have found us. Jesus tells us he came to seek and save the lost and we are so glad he did, Lord. Now help us as your little ones to live your way. Help us not to cling to the things of this world, the temporary things of this world. Help us cling to you and the good life you cause to live. We pray you'd help us together, as a church, to live this way. We pray that you'd help us to do this until you call us home and we get to see you face to face. Amen.